0: In the bonus room, Elena talks about her assignments as principal cello with the Deutsche Oper Berlin and later the Staatskapelle Berlin, while in between those two jobs she played electric cello in a rock band in Los Angeles. We end our conversation with Elena talking about some of her new ideas regarding music and education. You stayed in Germany, and studied in Germany, and then you became a uh, Principal, is that correct of the the Deutsche Oper, mm-hmm. the orchestra? And was that your first orchestra job?
1: Yes, it was. Yeah. Boy,
0: that, so how old were you when you got that job?
1: I was twenty four. Wow. Mm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's
0: sort of starting at the top. And and was Christian Thielmann the conductor at that
1: time? Yes, he was.
0: Boy, what was that like for your first couple of rehearsals? Coming in as as a 24-year-old, um, leading this section. Of...
1: Yeah, well, you know, it was not just that I was 24. I was also one of only, I think, 13 women in the orchestra. Yeah. Um, and in the cello section, there were two other women. And um, most of the men were all of the same generation. They were all in their mid-50s because um, they had all joined the orchestra at the same time. It was, it was not easy. (laughs) Hi guys, I'm your new principal. (laughs) I mean, some people were really nice. um, But uh, then there were others who were clearly a bit skeptical. And, and I, I also, I had no experience playing opera and I had no experience leading a section in a professional orchestra. I had only done that in youth orchestras. Um, So, which is, which is really a different beast. Um, Yeah and and also and what was really hard for me to get used to one of the first things we did was a, a recording with Thomas Kvastov and um i uh, and it was in the philharmonie i was not used to playing so late after the beat so teilman would give the the beat and we would play it felt to me like 10 minutes later <laughs> and he kept saying to me too early too early <laughs> And and I was, uh, I just didn't know how to deal with that. That was really hard for me. Yeah. Um, and then also just learning all these things about orchestra etiquette. I uh, I had very few social skills. <laughs>
0: really? Cause yes. You, it seems to me like you would be just the opposite because you seem so elegant and, and controlled in the way you do things. <laughs> I guess you were younger and, and...
1: Well, you know, okay, so put it this way. I moved out of... parents' house when I was 16. So I was, I was at Juilliard when I was 16. I graduated when I was 20. I was always among older people. I, uh, I was a weird kid at high school, so I didn't really have a social circle in high school. I didn't have any social skills when I got to this job. And I certainly had no leadership skills. Um, so my my approximation of that was to act like i knew exactly what i was doing um and just pretend the best i could and uh-huh. um and and just um try not to make any mistakes <laughs> i mean the smart thing to do would have been to ask for some help
0: yeah <laughs> So how did it go with i I think they say you uh, fake it until you make it
1: yeah well i was it was a lot of faking, and I don't think i I certainly didn't feel like I ever made it um, uh-huh. it it always felt very uncomfortable hmm. um and i uh and i i had i developed a lot of tension in that job too uh I also didn't really understand how so in the meantime I had studied with Boris Pegamementchikov. Who was a phenomenal teacher, um, really one of the best things that happened to me as a musician um, the The detailed way that he worked with me and that he encouraged us to work uh, I didn't understand how to translate that into orchestral playing because you cannot you cannot work in a detailed way the way you would work on a concerto on a Wagner opera. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> a Strauss opera, uh, you know, you have to just bash through it until you have some idea of what you're doing. Um, and and I didn't know how to unite the the skill of of um sight reading with the the skill of polishing and making something really beautiful. But oh, I right. do feel that is something that I learned. That was a very good school for me over the three years of of playing in the opera. That um when i uh there are of course a lot of beautiful cello solos in the opera literature and so whenever there was a cello solo i i developed this special technique for myself of of really physically relaxing the couple pages before (laughs) before the solo and then getting into soloist mode because that i found was one of the most difficult shifts um in being the principal cellist of an opera orchestra that you're both Expected to just kind of plow through pages and pages and pages of very chromatic um, <laughs> Wagner Strauss whatever, uh, uh, or maybe it was Verdi, and and then suddenly spotlight everybody else stops, and then you have a, a solo which is like a cello concerto, like Strauss Frau ohne Schatten. Um, that's like the, the, that solo in that opera is really like a cello concerto uh-huh. um and and that after you know going blind reading all these notes um so that switch uh was i think that was a very valuable thing to learn how to how to go from being the uh four-wheel drive um <laughs> tutti player and then, uh-huh. and then just shift gears and and take the space for yourself and become a soloist
0: so here's a suggestion, maybe not for a book, but at least for an article, mm-hmm. is, is what you learned during those, I think it was the three years with, with the opera, mm-hmm. and, and how you were able to gradually get to a, a place where you felt like you could do this, where you could combine these two things of, of being in the section and then being a soloist, mm-hmm. and, and all of these things that you had to do. You mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you went to the, from there, you went to the Staatskapelle,
1: Yes, not immediately. I, oh, okay. I actually first I just quit my job, um, which nobody expected me to do, <laughs> least of all myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that was the result of actually tinnitus.
0: Oh, so okay. again,
1: my body said, "Hey, we're not doing this anymore." <laughs> Wake up! Yeah. Um, and that was, in fact, after playing the third performance of Die Frau ohne Schatten, um, came back and had this ringing in my ears, and uh, and total just stiff neck pain. Um, and, and that went on for weeks and weeks. And, uh, so in the middle of this period of being out sick, I realized uh, something has to change. I I can't just go on this way. Um, I need a, I need a break. And so without having any other plan, I jumped off the cliff and I just, I quit. I handed in my resignation. So didn't know what I was going to do. Um, and I spent a year playing in a rock band with my brother, going back and forth really? to L.A. <laughs> um, wow. In,
0: in Where in L.A. did you live?
1: Uh, I didn't live there. I would just oh, go okay. there for a couple of weeks at a time. Okay. That's my
0: hometown. Oh, so. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. What did you play in the rock band? What instrument? Uh, cello. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, I played electric cello. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay.
0: And so you played clubs in L.A.?
1: Yeah. Or, or recorded? <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's great. Okay. Yeah. So we did that. I got to um, jam with some really cool uh, great musicians, drummers from Brazil and India and um, that was great fun. And mm-hmm. and I got into some pretty esoteric stuff, you know, energy healing and um, it was, it was a very Californian period of my life. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and uh and i was also coming back when i came back to europe i would i would sub i was still getting asked to sub as principal cellist in other orchestras so i would do that and then make enough money to go back to la again and just (laughs) spend it all
0: (laughs) wow so when you were in la where did you stay
1: with my brother my brother lived there uh, in at the time he was living in venice
0: Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, I lived in Santa Monica at one time. Oh, so uh, yeah, well, he lives there close. now. Yeah. So okay.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I used to go and run through Venice, so. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's changed yeah, a it lot. Is. It's
0: a really nice place now. It has, yeah. It's yeah. pretty, pretty chic. Yeah. 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 But, wow, okay, so that's great. And then, you, and, the, and then eventually you auditioned for the Staatskapelle?
1: No, actually, I had auditioned for the Staatskapelle um, in my last year of the Deutsche Opera. And I was in the last round, and then they chose someone else. And... um then when I came back, so sort of at the end of this year of just fooling around, uh, <laughs> I got a call from one of the other principal cellists at the Staatskapelle saying that um, they had a, a position free for a year because San Uleine, the um one of the other principal cellists, uh, was on maternity leave. So could I fill in for her? So I had to perform, I actually had to uh, play an audition for Barenboim the orchestra had already decided it was okay because i was in the last round they had heard me um i just had to do this audition for Baron boy <laughs> so i uh i did that um that was also a little bit unexpected because they told me oh just it, it's just going to be five minutes it's really just pro forma Just bring anything you know just (laughs) just beginning of some concerto that's enough right so i i wasn't practicing at the time i was being a real flake and this was this was my late uh teenage rebellion that i never had so um (laughs) i was just not practicing at this point in my life so i thought okay you know first five minutes of dvorak that'll be enough that was the only thing I practiced for about a week before the audition. And then I show up and I play maybe the first three minutes. And Barenboim stops me and says, do you have anything else? <laughs> <laughs> and then, so I knew not playing anything was not an option. So yeah. you so- did
0: not suggest an electric then.
1: <laughs> no, then I ended up playing an entire prelude of a Bach suite which I had oh. not practiced at all. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how it happened.
0: Okay. But he must have liked it.
1: I guess it was good enough. <laughs> yeah. And that was
0: the first time you met him.
1: Yeah.
0: Wow, okay. Yeah. Okay. And how how many years did you play with Satskapella?
1: 3 years in total.
0: Okay. okay. Always 3. <laughs> okay. Okay. Three's a charm. And then and then you came to Freiburg right after that?
1: No, it's it's all there's nothing straight and no. <laughs> nothing straight and narrow <laughs> about my life. Okay. <laughs> no, so actually I did two two seasons at the Staatskapelle back to back and then um and then I took some time off to among other things to write this book. Mm-hmm. Uh I also edited um Baron book. Um right. So I was helping him with with the writing of that book which is everything is connected in the UK or uh in the States, is called Music Quickens Time, um, and and then to write this book. And um, and then I did another season with them in 2010-11, and uh, I was also, um, I had started teaching at the Hochschule in Stuttgart, I had a Lehrauftrag there, I also started teaching in Seville. Um, that was <laughs> a little excursion. <laughs> <laughs> also related to the Divan, in fact, because the, the Divan had their base in Seville, mm-hmm. and uh, and Barenboim, uh, so they were being supported by the government of Andalusia, and Barenboim decided to f- found a an orchestra academy in Seville to give back to the Spanish, to the Andalusian people, and decided that members of the Staatskapelle should go there and teach once a month. And so I ended up doing that. So, I did that for seven years too.
0: Wow, okay. Mm-hmm. And you now teach uh, in Freiburg. Right. Um, and, and two of your main occupations are teaching in the Musikhochschule, and you also play with the Hegel uh, quartet. Right. Yeah. And you're going to be releasing a Korngold um, CD yeah. in, what, about a month or two?
1: Uh, in April, yeah. Korngold okay. and Kaisler.
0: Kaisler, right, right.
1: Yeah, right. yeah. So, yeah, so we we recorded the. Korngold's, Korngold's third quartet and, mm-hmm. and Chrysler's only quartet. And uh-huh. um, and these two pieces have been really um, important to us during this time. And and again, the story of the pieces is really important to me, um, which is that with this, this third quart, uh, quartet of Korngold's, he wrote this in um, actually over a period of years, but... He emigrated to the United States in 1938, more or less by chance. Um, he was he was called to do the music for Robin Hood by Max Reinhardt, who was working for Warner Brothers at the time, directing, and um, so he came over to do this music, and and then of course he didn't end up going back, and uh, he was he had a special clause in his contract with Warner Brothers that said that he could use any film music that he wrote for them for his own purposes as well and he had this period during the war of not writing anything except film music and uh he really he really missed his his home country Austria he missed his opera houses and his concert halls and but he didn't write any absolute music this entire time until this quartet and he took three um, themes for three of the movements of the quartet, he took out of film music that he had written, and uh, and he gave this quartet as a present to his wife in 1944 for Christmas, and um, and she wrote that that's how she knew that he was back to himself again because he was writing writing music for himself again for for the concert stage, so that's a I find it's a it's a little ray of sunshine for our times now. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Glory of hope.
0: I think when he was quite young, he was like a wunderkind. I think he had an opera at the age of, was it 20 or 21, that was like a very major piece. And then I think he sort of resented... Uh, I don't know if he resented himself, but but I think felt that he spent too much time on, on movie music, even though he was great at that.
1: Well, it, it was just not his choice. I mean, yeah, and he was a total wunderkind. I mean, he he wrote his first ballet when he was 11, <laughs> and it was performed by the, the Wiener <laughs> okay. Hof Opera at yeah. the time. Um, it, yeah, he, um, I don't know that he resented it. Uh, everybody says that he was such a generous nice person. And he was also incredibly virtuosic with the movie music. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you know about this, but he, um, he used to conduct live with the, with the picture running. And he didn't even need a stopwatch, he would, he would conduct and have everything timed perfectly to the second. Um, And, and it would just work out one take. (laughs) <laughs> wow, that's great. I mean those were great musicians in the orchestra too, but <laughs> Yeah, but still. Still. <laughs> his I mean, timing yeah. was apparently impeccable. So he must have had some some fun doing that too. I mean, yes. I think movies were were like like operas without without singing for him. Yes. Uh but but yeah, of course he he always hoped and wished to return to to the opera, to Europe. And unfortunately that never happened.
0: Yeah. Well, we only have a few minutes left, but just quickly tell me about your teaching at the Musikhochschule in Freiburg. And I retired in 2013, and you came to the Hochschule in 2014. Yeah, just so after I missed you, missed you. Left. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Well, you know, I would have started in 2013 had they not put a freeze on my on my position. Oh, <laughs> yeah. okay, because, I didn't know about that. Yeah, yeah, because of all this budget uh, difficulty in baden wurttemberg right. Yeah. Anyway, so I started a half a year late. Okay. Um. So about my teaching. Well, what do you want to know about my teaching? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I know now that you're trying to get your students to do some weight training with um, <laughs> a certain amount of success, shall we say? Um. But you teach cello, and do you teach chamber music as well?
1: Uh, not officially, but I do. I do here um, uh-huh. some of my students' groups, and um, and I I also teach uh cello pedagogy. Okay, uh, which which I do in a variety of different ways, um, and I also teach a seminar together with my colleague Camille Savage um, who is married to a trumpet player. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> and um, we uh, it's called Kunst heute, and we started this seminar during the pandemic.
0: And you do a podcast too, I think. We right? do a
1: podcast which is integrated into the seminar. It's called Out of Rich Darkness. And uh yeah, we started it as a way of just rethinking music education and um and questioning what we do and questioning what the status quo is and and just you know reinventing what we do as we're as we're doing it so we um we've talked to a lot of different people to get their input on um what's what's necessary and what's changing in today's music world and also how we can. Uh, think more like artists, and less like um, people carrying out a specific skill. (laughs) Uh Um, And, and to, to become more creative, more entrepreneurial, and, um, and also help people become more individual in their music making, because I personally think this is, this is the way of the future of classical music that we, we acknowledge our individuality and celebrate it, um, rather than all trying to fit into the same mold so that we can all be in the same kind of orchestra. Um, but there are, I think now there are lots of new ways of, um, of making music new, different kinds of ensembles, different concert formats, um, and and different ways of interacting with the audience. Um, so these are all really exciting topics to me. And this is a, so this seminar that we started together has been one of the most exciting things for me to do, and and to see how. So um, this past semester we were we were um, encouraging the students to create their own projects of any kind. It was quite open open ended. What kind of project that should be. And um matching them up with mentors uh the two semesters ago we brought in people from outside the Hochschule and um and had them work with our students on online and um and this semester we had some of our colleagues from the Hochschule work with the students and come to the seminar and and uh give them some feedback on their projects and and help them along. So that's been really exciting to see how some of these projects are developing.
0: And the students are from a variety of instrumental groups. Or mm-hmm. just yeah, groups? and also okay. different
1: different degree programs, all different uh-huh. all different categories.
0: Wow, great, great. Well, I boy, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk.
1: Yeah, well, it's been, it's been really fun and, and really great to finally meet you. Yeah,
0: I mean, we, we talked about some serious stuff, but, but <laughs> it, was, it was still fun. It, yeah, <laughs> it was really great. And very nice to meet you. I first heard about you from my daughter, uh, Kelsey, who you coach, who is a singer, but you coached a group that she was singing in. And she was very impressed with you and talked about how nice you were. So it's great to finally meet you in person.
1: Uh, that's great. Yeah, in fact, now I remember what she was singing in. Oh okay. It was my it was my opening concert. Oh, how could I forget? It? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I did this crazy crazy program with singers and a dancer and people behind the stage and in the audience and so much work. My god, I'll never do that again. <laughs> uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, she was one of my singers that I planted in the audience.
0: <laughs> oh, that's great. Wow. That was that was fun. <laughs> yeah, well she certainly enjoyed it. So, oh, that's great. Good. Well, thanks so much, and um, we will be in touch then.
1: Thanks, Tony. Okay, Okay. all the best to you. You too.
0: Okay. Okay, bye-bye.